Grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Genesis 32. And uh, while you're doing that, let me, let me, uh, uh, <laughs> I hope this is not too self-serving, but um, it really isn't, guys. Um, I know that you're not all able to be with us on a Wednesday night, but the past three Wednesday nights, we've discussed church government, the church government of Grace Evan. <laughs> As so many of you, I'm sure, know, church government in churches in our area has become quite, uh, quite controversial. And so we, uh, we wanted to put in print, I guess, in audio print, how things uh, are conducted here at Gracie Van. So if you weren't able to be with us uh, on Wednesday night, this is available to you. It's called Elders and Church Government. Um, we have a new kind of audio ministry headed up by uh, Johnny Coggin and, and uh, Jolyn Drulinger. And uh, this thing's available to you. It's, I, I want you to know it's nothing profound. It's nothing that's going to change your life, but it will inform you. It will inform you as to how things operate here at Gracie Van. And we think that's pretty important these days. I, I would say, I would add this as well. Um, you know, we're nominating for the office of elder. Can I just encourage you to listen to this before you nominate? <laughs> um, there are a couple of passages in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, that give us some instructions as to whom might we nominate. You, you might want to listen to this before you uh, nominate. And it's available to you at the, uh, at the audio desk in the kiosk. Now, back to our, uh, our study of the life of Jacob. In this study within a study known as a theology of limping. Uh, it's a theology of limping series within the series of the life of Jacob. Which is another, within another series known as the study of Genesis. So here we go. Same text as last week. Verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The grass withers, and the flower fades. But the word of our God 
That endures forever. I hope that I have been sufficiently clear as to the identity of the man, the man in the text here, who wrestles with Jacob. Uh, I feel pretty confident that verse 30 kind of settles the debate. The, um, the man is God. It's called a theophany, and God has showed up to, uh, to wrestle with one of his own. As a result of that wrestling match, we learn something about God. We learn how it is that he wrestles with his people. Guys, um, let me say that again. We learn how he wrestles with his people. Um, The lesson that we learn, or particularly the insight that we get into how he wrestles, is something that I hope you're ready for. In the process of spiritual transformation, that is, in the process of God making us into the image of his son, God is willing to inflict pain on his people so that they might learn the beauty of living life with a limp. Somewhere in the process of spiritual transformation, God gets up real close and he strikes a blow. A blow that will fundamentally change the spiritual DNA of your soul. He strikes a blow. That will fundamentally change the way you live the rest of your Christian life. (laughs) One of my heroes is a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, and A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, it's one of my favorite quotes in all of Christendom. Tozer says, rarely, rarely does God use a man significantly. Until he hurts him deeply. Rarely. Does God use a man significantly. Until he hurts him. Deeply. Well that's what he does to Jacob. He harms him. He, uh, he inflicts pain on uh, his own son. And... Every time Jacob takes a step from this day forward, he will be reminded of the events that took place on this night. He's a part of the walking wounded. And every step that he takes will jog his memory as to to what took place on that night when he wrestled with God. Gang, um, the question is not, will God do this? He does do it. He did it to Jacob. 
We'll see later that he does it to Paul. And he's done it to so many of you. Who even now walk with a limp. The question is not, will God do it? The question is, why? Why is he willing to inflict pain on his own people? And I have to that's that's what I want to answer today, but perhaps it's 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 really the point of this entire series on the theology of limping. Why? Why is God willing to inflict pain on his own? Well, gang, the, the answer is not hard to find, it's just hard to swallow. If you've got your Bibles in your laps, you might want to open to Second um, Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read you a couple of verses is all. All I'm trying to do is to answer the question, why? Why is he willing to inflict pain? This is, of course, written by Paul, and he uh, says, we'll read three verses. Verse 8, 9, and 10 of Second Corinthians 12. Paul says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. You know what that is, the, the infamous thorn in Paul's flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Because when I'm weak, then... I'm strong. Guys, the first thing that you need to understand is this. God deals with Christians this way. Paul is not describing here in 2 Corinthians 12 a saving event. Nor is Genesis 32 describing a saving event for Jacob. These are both redeemed, saved men. And yet in terms of their transformation... In terms of God making them into the likeness of Christ, it is utterly vital that God include a healthy dose of pain every day from this night forward, Jacob limped. And every day, Paul carried around some thorn in the flesh, which God refused to remove on three different occasions. Why? Why is he willing to inflict pain on his own? Because as he says, my power is made perfect. In your weakness. There's your answer. Or at least half of it. 
Why is he willing to do that? Because it has, it, it has something to do with power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a sermon about affliction. It's a sermon about power. It's about living the Christian life with a measure of spiritual strength to it. So that we might taste a little bit of victory from time to time. Whether it's Jacob, whether it's Paul, whether it's you, whether it's me, all of us have to be brought to an end of it. That is, an end of our own power. Our power has got to be dismantled. And once it is, something else is inserted in its place. His power. There must come a dying to our attempts to use our own strengths and abilities, our own power. That's got to die. In, in our efforts to accomplish God's purposes as an individual or as a church, that's got to die. My brother and sister in Christ, God has more need of our weakness than he does of our strength. Because our power becomes a rival to his. We aren't weak enough. We're not weak enough for God to display power in us individually or corporately. And so because we aren't weak enough... It is God's hidden way with his people. It's, it's the way that he works out his purposes in his people. That he takes redeemed people. And he crushes them. And it, replaces this self-confidence, this self-reliance, this hideous bravado. He replaces that with, with something that looks like a God-reliance. Gang, that kind of message is not exactly welcomed or very attractive. It kind of, it kind of sticks in the craw of those who want to be able to fix themselves by themselves. And, and who devote much of their energies, much of their time to manipulating their circumstances so that they can be in control. Gang, we fear anything, including God that threatens or robs us of control, or at least what we think might rob us of control. Our culture has told us that it is the self-reliant, the, the self-confident who prosper today. All week long, contemporary culture saturates us with, with self-messages. Limping has no appeal to... To the strong and to the capable and to the accomplished and to the educated and to the wealthy and to the successful. I'm addicted to myself. 
There's six billion people in the world, and I'm concerned about one of them. Me. I'm told to be done with, I'm told by my culture, to be done with the ordinary. I want to be, Garrison Keillor said this. I thought it was so funny when he said it. He said, I want to be sun god, king of America, idol of millions, bringer of fire, the great Haji, Thundar, the boy giant. That's what I want to be. And the church, unfortunately, as a reflection of her culture, has fallen into the same trap. Gang, the, the church of the 21st century has sold its heritage for a mess of pottage called success. And we settle for being informed rather than being transformed. We have discarded this stuff about weakness and foolishness as related in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. We've discarded that in favor of status and position and wealth and popularity and, and acceptability and success. We, we are um, we're determined individually and corporately to be large and in charge. To be um, a shaker and a mover, and to be uh, the big man on campus. And because that's true, our Heavenly Father, in an act of mercy and grace, cripples us. And the crippled, the limping, they're the fortunate ones. They've come, they've, they've come to an end of their power. And in its place, there's something holy, something from above, something divine, that has been inserted. And, and that something is so attractive, so compelling. It, it's something for which the world has no explanation. But it's the something by which we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Limping. I mean, if you're Jacob, what, what, could be more, what could be worse for a hustler than, than limping? Oh, Jacob's days of hard charging, they're over. And now, as the text, as the story tells us, he holds on to God with all his might. I, I, I will not let you go. He dreads the prospect of, of having to let go. He dreads the prospect of, of, of this being over. Which, ladies and gentlemen, is the other half of the why. Gang, if you can, get this mental picture in your heads. I will not let you go. I will not let you go. Gang. 
That is the desired posture of faith. Broken and exhausted with my own trying and with my hands empty enough to cling to God. I won't let go of you. Where did that come from? <laughs> Gosh, that's, that's certainly different from the kind of things we've heard coming out of Jacob's mouth. Where did that, I won't let go of you, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from, guys. It came from a wrestling match. It came from a confrontation with God where God got up real close and inflicted pain on one of his own. And as a result of God having done that, his child cries, I don't want to let go of you. You said anything like that recently? Maybe the reason we haven't is because we aren't yet weak enough. Gang, uh, wrestling with God is serious business. You can get hurt. (laughs) Hopefully you will get hurt. Hopefully you will get hurt so deeply, so profoundly, that you will hang on to God with all your might. Hopefully you'll get hurt so deeply, so profoundly, that you will learn to prize the experience that produced the limp. Hopefully you will get hurt so deeply and so profoundly that you will learn to call this grace. A grace that has made it very hard for you to ever be proud again. Cocky. Arrogant. High-minded. And it was all inflicted by a God who treasures you. It's all been inflicted by a God who will not sit idly by and watch you waste your life on trifles. Self, pride, whatever you want to call it, it's a kind of an addiction. It's a yearning for those, those ego strokes that will never, never quite be satisfied. We never get quite enough of them, do we? And so eventually the issue becomes, to whom do I belong? For whom am I intended? Or for what am I intended? In 
And ladies and gentlemen, nothing, nothing will settle those questions quite like a wrestling match with God. And the inevitable, glorious outcome is that you and I from that day forward will walk with a limp. And we will glory, glory in that limp. Oh, it's painful. But it's our glory because it is the mark of God's willingness to bludgeon his people with grace. And it is also a reminder that I cannot survive when there's too much distance between him and me. So I'm going to hold on. As tightly as I can hold on. Gang, if you want to fear something, don't fear the wrestling match. Fear that for you the wrestling match will never come. Fear that God will leave you to your hustling and your striving and your manipulations. And your anxieties. And your addiction. To want to be in control. Fear that God will never draw nigh. And wrestle you into glad yieldedness. After the maiming. <laughs> that happened to Jacob. All that combativeness and all that shrewdness and all that silliness has turned into a sweet dependence for Jacob. And he has emerged from this event broken and yielded. And he's excited that he now knows things about God that he never knew before. And he blesses God that he now limps. It is his most cherished possession. I lost. I lost. I lost to grace. You know, gang, you can, you can hardly trust um, people who don't walk with a limp. Because limpers, they're the only ones weak enough to know anything about the power of God. Just like Paul said, For when I am weak, then... And could I insert something that's not in the text? For when I am weak, then, and only then, am I strong.
my brother and sister in Christ, do you see it? Do you see why he did it? And now you know, I hope, why limping is so extraordinarily beautiful. And why God is willing to inflict pain on his sons and his daughters. Let me say one more thing and I'm pretty much finished. You know, um, as a pastor, almost every day I, I get the privilege of talking to someone who either in this congregation or out of this congregation, they, they, they talk to me about uh, their cancer that is getting worse or, um, or their heart that's breaking because of the death of a spouse. They, they talk to me about um, a life that is consumed with anger at an, at an ex-spouse who, after the divorce, is hurting our children. They talk to me about their... Their addictions to alcohol and, and sex and, and, and work. I, I hear about the jobs that people hate but can't afford to leave them. They, they need those jobs to continue to support the lifestyle to which they've grown accustomed. A lifestyle that they don't like much either. I, I talk to teenagers who tell me how empty they are. And the kinds of things they're doing to try and fill the emptiness. They come to see me in the morning and in the afternoon and the evening. And they, they, they call me on the phone and they write me emails. And they, they speak to me after the worship service. And they, they find hundreds of ways to tell me that they're wrestling with God. And the issue in every one of them is will you yield? Don't waste this, my brother and sister in Christ. Don't waste this wrestling match. You know the name Ernest Hemingway? I, I think at least people my age will know him. He was probably uh, considered the greatest novelist of the 21st of the 20th century, maybe. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, fascinating character. Um, but Ernest Hemingway was wounded in World War I, and um, he, he was an ambulance driver. <laughs> he, he, because he had bad eyesight, he couldn't be a soldier. He wanted to be a soldier, but he couldn't be a soldier, and so he drove an ambulance, and he was, he was wounded. And the medical staff pulled 237 pieces of shrapnel out of his body. Oh, gosh, how do you live? It, but anyway, um, during this long period of convalescence in a military hospital, he watched how his, his fellow patients in that hospital, how they coped with their various situations and their various uh, wounds. 
And, and some of the patients would leave the hospital with this, this cheery and bright and hopeful prospect for the future. And others, others would leave very dark, very bitter, very angry. And, and Hemingway came to the conclusion that in every case, in, in, in either case, the wounds that had been inflicted simply brought out the true nature of the person. The, um, from that experience in that military hospital, Ernest Hemingway developed the thesis for just about every one of his novels. And in his novels, what he would do is that he would take seemingly good people and put them into difficult situations where they were forced to wrestle like a man in the long, arduous days adrift on the sea in the old man in the sea. Or in the anticipation of deadly bulls, the sun also rises. Or men in military conflict for whom the bell tolls and, and um, death in the afternoon. Hemingway's thesis was that these scenes, would, would in, all they did would, would, was to enable you to see what people were really made of. The, um, the wrestling doesn't break the people. What he was claiming is that the wrestling only reveals what's really there. And so, my brother and sister in Christ, in your present situation, tell me, what is your situation revealing about you? My dear Christian friend, please don't stop wrestling. Please don't stop wrestling anything, any place short of a limp. A limp that says, I surrender. I surrender to the God who told me that when I am weak, strong. I love this guy, Jacob. He had lived his entire life up to this point. He had been crooked his entire life, and now he literally even walks crooked. But you know, after this wrestling match, Maybe for the first time in his life, he begins to walk straight. Now you know why. 
before God ever uses them insignificantly. He hurts them deeply. Our Father, I do pray that as a congregation, as, a, as, a, as an individual, that you might in, bring us to the end of our so-called daunting power. That it might, that it might go. And that we might find the sweet beauty of walking for the rest of our lives with a mark on us that reminds us that the only time any of us will taste divine power is when we've come to an end of our own. Father, for my brother and sister who this day, this period in their lives is one of the worst, the darkest, I pray that you will continue this match until the will has been broken. And we will find the great beauty of yieldedness and surrender to the God who made us and redeemed us in Christ Jesus. Oh, how glorious is that. To hold on tight to a God who treasures us. Do that to me, O God. Do that to others. Do it to our church. That we might never come to the place where we Trade away the genuinely spiritual for the synthetic. Father, if you've led people here today who have not yet even begun this walk of faith, who have never met Jesus Christ, who are not leaning on Him and Him alone for their redemption, I pray that something will have been said or sung or prayed that will, will plant a seed that will end up with a full-blown conversion, that people will come to see the great beauty of Jesus Christ and the beauty of walking beside our, our leader limper with a limp of our own. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.